folks, we're glad y'all are here. It's cool to see this room kind of slowly populating. Uh, those who are online with us this morning, want to welcome y'all as well. And just tell you, we're we're missing you. We're uh, people are making some really difficult decisions right now about how to re-enter, when to re-enter, where, and all the things. So it's not simple. And I know, especially uh, families that have little ones um, in school, you're making some tough calls right now and trying to sort all that out. And what does that look like? Some of you are teaching. Some of you are doing uh, jobs that require a lot of exposure to people. And um, just all those dynamics, we just want you to know that we are praying with you and for you. Uh, I think the thing that we are burdened for as a people is that we would be good neighbors. I mean, that's, that's the goal, is that we would be good neighbors to folks that we live with and work with or live by and uh, run with. Um, the, uh, the thought there is that we want to be very conscious of um, people in different places on how things are going and how things are being done, and we want to bathe all that with lots of margin. Uh, there's not some uh, uh, cloud, you know, the, the Lord hadn't spoken audibly from heaven and saying exactly how things should be going right now. Uh, he's given us clear teaching that we can walk in each week. So that's what we're going to hold fast to, and the other things we're going to hold really loosely to, like our rights, things like that. I mean, there are they're, um, things that we can hold really loosely to and still be passionate about them, but hold really tightly to things that we know are absolutely true, that are uh, timeless, that we can hold on to through crazy times and through good times and everything in between. So that's what we're doing this morning in person and online, and I hope in these next few minutes you'll be blessed uh, in doing all of the above. We're going to pray for a few things this morning. We're going to pray for starving Christians in Laos. It's fitting that we're praying for brothers and sisters who are going without right now because they have not renounced their faith. If they would renounce their faith, then they would be given food from the government. So let's pray for brothers and sisters in Christ to stand strong, uh, even in their hunger, that God would provide somehow for them what they need. I think they're trying to dig up yams and trying to hunt animals in the woods for food. So, man, let's, let's stand with our brothers and sisters in prayer this morning, praying for um, faithfulness and praying that the Lord would provide for them. Uh, let's pray for those that are making school and work decisions. Uh, we're going to pray for um, a Korean, the Korean people this morning, which is a massive people group, but it's among the least reached people groups in the world, among the top 100. Uh, it's 25 million strong, 1.8% of which are Christian. So we want to pray for those who are missionaries there or who could be missionaries. We want to pray, too, for folks on the far corners that uh, the Lord, in Korea, in this case, that uh, the Lord will stir them and draw them into a relationship with him uh, and that the people that are sowing seed, that those dots will connect. Uh, let's pray also for Authentic Life Fellowship this morning and their pastor, Jimmy Vaughn. I want to pray, too, for Tim Safer. Tim and um, Kara uh, used to be members of Crosspoint years ago. Um, Kara's mother was our first secretary here at Crosspoint, Ruth Hardy, and uh, Tim is battling brain cancer, and that's how I kind of connected with uh, Authentic Life Fellowship right now because he reached out to me this week, and um, I'd just like to pray for our brother, if we could, this morning. Let's pray. Lord, lots of needs that we bring before you this morning, all of which you know every single detail before we even lift them up. But, Lord, we bring them to you uh, relationally. We bring them to you because we need to come to you with these matters. Uh, we, first of all, before we even bring these things to you, we want to ask for the hallowing of your name, that in our spaces, in our workplaces, in our communities, in our homes, 
that your name will be counted holy and great. And Lord, we want to pray also for your kingdom, that it will come, that it would advance and move, starting in the hearts of men and even in our lives, in those spaces and rooms um, within us uh, that aren't yet invaded by the living God, that you would uh, find purchase, uh, that you would move in and uh, just uh, declare us all yours. Uh, We pray that you would uh, advance the kingdom and rule in the hearts of men in our community and those that we run with and those that are in the far corners this morning, a people group, uh, the Korean people. Lord, we pray for a massive, massive group of people, 25 million strong. Lord, we pray that you would draw this people group to you, that you would send workers and that your kingdom would advance and the reign and rule of God would take place in the heart of Korean, hearts of Korean men and women and children entrusting this people group to you. Lord, also, we want to pray for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, that the absolute, the, the uh, full, wholehearted response to your will uh, would play out here among your people first and foremost, and that eventually, as we creep every single day closer to our Lord's return, that your will would be done more and more so here in this space on earth. Lord, also, we want to pray for uh, those who are making really difficult uh, decisions uh, this morning um, and this week uh, in this time frame about school and work and life. Uh, even this morning, there were probably some conversations that people had about whether we should gather in corporate worship or not, uh, what we should participate in this coming week. Uh, Lord, we just pray that you would give folks, uh, give your people wisdom, that the Holy Spirit would be a, an, un, an unbelievable maestro uh, who is surgical and helpful in the lives of your saints right now and making those decisions. Lord, I, uh, we just entrust our, uh, our people to you uh, with these hard, hard uh, unclear steps that they're having to make about school and work and life in, these, in this just strange season. Thankful that the Holy Spirit walks with us even in difficult times, maybe especially in difficult times. Lord, we want to pray for our brothers and sisters in Laos who at this very moment, maybe uh, um, if they're not, if it's not nighttime there, might be searching for food just so they can have a day's worth and just a bite. Uh, we're praying for the, the children among them that are likely starving. Lord, we pray for brothers and sisters in Christ that they would stand strong, holding fast to you, that their food would be doing the will of the Father, and that somehow you would sustain them. And also, Lord, we beg you to provide for them. Please don't let them renounce. Keep, please keep them in your name and, and keep them from renounce, renouncing their faith in you, even for provision from the government, especially for provision from the government. Lord, we lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're cheering for them to uh, stand the test and to go the distance. Um, and we're thankful that we can bring them before you this morning, that you know their plight and that you care for them. You're a good father to them. And we lift them up to you right now. Lord, I also want to pray for another church in our community, for Authentic Life Fellowship, for Jimmy Vaughn and uh, brothers and sisters in Christ there that we know, uh, Tim Safer and Kara, just for Tim and his health and his treatment. Uh, Lord, we have uh, so many, uh, I, I have really fond thoughts of uh, the Safers, of Ruth Hardy, uh, of Jimmy Vaughn, of Authentic Life Fellowship, all the things that we're lifting up to you right now, Lord. We are thankful we have the chance to bring our brothers and sisters to you this morning and ask you to bless them, Lord. Draw them into your presence this morning, physically and virtually and, and or both. Uh, draw them into your presence. Sustain them with a good meal. Provide for them today, Lord. 
Lord, lastly this morning, we want to pray for how we spend these next few minutes. Pray that we'll take good nourishment, that you'll give us just enough food, uh, just enough manna for today. Praying these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. You turn to Matthew chapter 6 if you haven't turned there already. You know, Americans uh, grocery shop a little different than, differently than the rest of the world. Um, I think about how Christy and I grocery shop. We're frustrated if we've forgotten something and have to go back to the store the next day. And we like the thought of getting a lot of food at one time so that you can just be done with the whole idea of grocery shopping for a while. That's why Costco is so appealing. You can get bulk items and just really load up. And you don't have to make a trip to Rockwall again. Even if I lived in Rockwall, I wouldn't want to make that trip very often. That's the beauty of bulk, right? You get to load your garage up and load your fridge and your freezer up with tons of stuff. We load up our SUV. Not everybody has an SUV, but a lot of us do. We load up our SUV or our van or our truck with all the goods, and whether it's Costco or Walmart or um, Brookshire's, uh, Americans like to get all our stuff done very efficiently, I think, typically, and infrequently. I don't know many people that like to go to their grocery store every day. I mean, I, maybe some of you do, and if you do, then maybe you're just different from the rest of us. Europeans, on the other hand, shop very differently. Europeans shop like daily. Uh, Christy and I, a couple years ago, had the chance to go to Italy. And um, while we were over there, we were off, kind of off the grid of the typical tourist uh, route. So we were in, um, uh, in, a, in an area of Italy, I can't even remember the name of the town, but uh, where there weren't a lot of English speakers, unless they were Italians that also spoke English. You know, they weren't tourists. Uh, and we had to shop at the grocery store every day because there's a few reasons. Because first of all, the cars are tiny, like really tiny. You can't load them up like you could an SUV, you know. Uh, and, and there's also the notion that you may not have a car. So you're carrying bags, you know, you're going to carry just a little bit of food. And then you get home to this tiny little flat, what they call it, tiny little flat, with a tiny little fridge. You know, so that you have all the things that are sort of forcing you into this daily experience. Uh, one of the things that we observed that I was mindful of in Italy on this last trip is they can identify tourists. You know, I mean, they know what we look like. I mean, we're wearing white tennis shoes and black socks, you know, shorts, pantalinos. They don't wear pantalinos in, in Italy. They don't want to wear shorts. If you're wearing shorts, you're saying, I'm a tourist. They dress nice, even when it's a thousand degrees out. It's, it's a, a strange context, but they know who we are. But it's interesting to see how they interact with one another in their tiny little grocery stores. They all know one another. Like, buongiorno, hey, how you doing, Alfonso? You know, they, they connect to, oh, you cooking linguine this, this evening. You know, they, they even see what each other's cooking. And when they're checking out, they know the grocer. And the grocer, I guess grocer, not grocer. The grocer's something different. Grocer knows them, like by name. Francesca, you know, and, they, and, they, and they're, 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 they're interactive and they're relational in that European context. If you've been to Germany, for example, or places like that, you know what I'm talking about. Those tiny little grocery stores, a relational experience, just a few groceries, just enough to get you through the evening and the morning and maybe some leftovers for lunch, and then you see them again the next day, okay? Take that image. We'll come back to that later on in the morning, and if you would stand with me. And we're going to read from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Pray then like this. 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Let's pray. Lord, speak to us from these simple words, this simple petition. Give us this day our daily bread. Show us what we're doing, what we need to do. Show us our problems and show us your provision. I'm praying these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. Y'all can be seated. All right. Man has a problem with food. It's ages old. In fact, I I have a few places that I'll have you turn this morning. I'll mention other passages in case you want to turn there if you're a visual listener. Uh, Genesis chapter 2 gives us a window into our food problems that have been there since the very beginning. Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 said, The Lord planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A few verses later in verse 15, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden. Likely most folks in this room know how the story unfolded. But we'll just consider just a chapter later in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit... And she ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. I read the book of Genesis and the creation account literally. Not all believers read it literally. Some believe that it took place over thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of years. I read it literally. I believe that there, were, there was a real man and a real woman that partook of a real tree. And that they, from the outset, on day one, I can't believe that they could have gone a day without doing this. I can't help but believe that it was on day one, likely the Sabbath day, in my mind, that they messed up on our behalf and that we messed up in them through our relationship with them as their federal relationship to us, that we messed up with food from the very beginning. We ate the wrong food from the wrong hand. That's going to be thematic this morning. We ate the wrong food from the wrong hand. And that's been a problem for man since day one. The nature of the fall itself was a problem with food. Essentially what Adam and Eve did in the garden on our behalf which we would have done if it would have been the two of us, me and Christy, or maybe a man man and a woman in this room, we would have done the very same thing. What they did and what they did for us is say, not what you give me to eat, but what I want to eat be done. Not your will be done, but my will be done. You're likely familiar with the consequences of the fall. If that's not bad enough, that we already have a problem with food. The consequences of the fall compound that problem. Later on in chapter 3 to Adam, he gave the consequences uh, for the fall to Adam. Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten 
Of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. We already had a problem with food. We've already demonstrated that. Now we have a compounding problem with food that is part of the curse, is part of the fall, that we have these other issues with food as well. In pain, we will eat of it. The good stuff is going to be found in beds of thorns and thistles. And we have to root our way around to find the good stuff in the thorns and thistles that rip us to shreds in the meantime. And on top of the pain, there's also the sweat. With sweaty brows, we will eat bread, it says. Food from a cursed earth sounds to me as unsatisfying as food from the forbidden tree. Man, it's disappointing, isn't it? I mean, he's thankfully providing that there is something to eat here. But man, it's in beds of thorns and thistles. It's in pain and with sweaty brows. Very unsatisfying. I was thinking about it. It's kind of like Chinese food. Like an hour later, you're like, did we eat? I can't even remember. I'm still hungry. I'm hungry again. Unsatisfying. The food from the forbidden tree and then the problem that we have with food as a consequence of the fall. This is at the beginning of the story of man. You know, maybe we might imagine that God's people might be able to figure it out, that it might go a little better for man later on in the story. If you would, I would have you turn to Hosea, Hosea chapter 3 for me. I'll give you a little context as you turn there. Hosea chapter 3. God's people, it seems, appears were really no different than man from the outset. We're talking about in this case where we're fast-forwarding to this context in Hosea, and I'll acquaint you with the context in a moment. We're talking about 1,200 years after Abraham, okay, to give you a little context time-wise. We're talking about 700 years or so after the Exodus and after Moses. Many years and many opportunities to get food right. Many years and many opportunities to get food sorted Many years later, here's the report in Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. Just to acquaint you a little bit with the story of Hosea. Hosea was a prophet, a prophet to Israel around the 8th century B.C. God had a unique job for Hosea. He wanted him to, he wanted him to go marry a woman of ill repute. Okay? He wanted him to marry a prostitute. Uh, a tough job. I mean, it... She was not a catch. She found a woman named Gomer. She's not, a, she's not the one that you'd want to bring home to mom. She was a practicing um, prostitute at the time of his finding her. Uh, we, we sort of parachute into chapter 3 after they have some story developed. She's become his husband, and she's run off, and she's been enticed with something that's sort of alarming. Okay, she's been enticed away. Let's look and see what happens here in chapter 3, verse 1. And let me acquaint you, too, with why he had... Um, uh, why, he, why he had Hosea marry a woman named Gomer, a woman of ill repute, is because this woman was a picture of Israel. Hosea was a picture of God and his relationship with Israel. Okay, so let's see what the Israel story, the story of the people of God some thousands of years later after the garden, okay, depending on how you time it, at some point later in time, 
after the garden. Let's parachute in and see how the people of God are doing. Chapter 3, verse 1. And the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. You see the metaphor there. The Lord is Hosea. Gomer is Israel. Okay. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. Okay. And love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethage of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. So this story, we're sort of parachuting into what's unfolding for the nation, a visual aid for the nation of Israel, where this prophet is to go marry a prostitute. And the sort of telling metaphor is that it's about raisins, uh, cakes of raisins that are enticing Gomer away. She's the visual aid of what has happened to Israel. Now, we don't know if those cakes of raisins had to do with some sort of pagan worship, but basically he's speaking to a problem of whoredom for the nation of Israel. And the visual aid is tragically raisin cakes. Tragically raisin cakes. As we look at this, we have to go, wait a minute, let me read that again. Enticed away with raisin cakes? Like Gomer, I know you have a husband, I know you have some children, but listen, I want you to come hang out with me a little bit. I have raisin cakes. She's like, oh, you do? I'm off. I'm gone. Forget my family and all that I have been a part of. Raisin cakes. It makes me think of Edmund in Lion and the Witch in the Wardrobe. You know the story of Edmund and the White Witch? And she entices him and allures him with, you remember what it was? It was Turkish Delight, which I think is... Uh, Baklava, not to be confused with a balaclava, which you wear on your head. Baklava is this Turkish delight, some of the most delicious stuff in the world. But the thought of being enticed with it is pretty ridiculous. But I'm telling you, man has a problem with food. Whether it's Edmund or Gomer or Adam or Eve or insert any name in this room or any people group into this room. Man has a problem with food, whether it's fruit from a forbidden tree or Turkish delight or raisin cakes. We eat the wrong food from the wrong hand relentlessly. It's a fundamental problem for humankind. A fundamental problem with man. And you know, Satan has our number on that as well. I don't know if you realize that. Satan's been at this whole tempting man thing since the garden. All right, We know what he accomplished there in the garden with food. But if you fast forward to the temptation of Christ in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4, what was the first temptation? Food. Turn these stones to bread. He has our number. And we would be foolish to think, oh, we're just talking about food. How silly, raisin cakes. We are enticed with far less, far more often. We consistently eat the wrong food from the wrong hand. There's a passage in 1 John that I'll mention to you. You can turn there or you can just write, write this down and look back at it later. It's sort of a summary passage about a problem of the world. It's a passage I've referred to a number of times over the years in my mind and my thoughts and my sermon preparation as we sort of get a summary of what's going on with mankind, what's going on in the world. Listen to this passage and kind of connect it to, and I'll help you connect it in a moment. 
with some of what we considered already. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. We could personalize this and connect it to raisin cakes, Turkish delight, forbidden fruit. Okay? Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, I think it's New American Standard says the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. This is a telling passage. It's like a diagnostic on the human problem. And what's going on in this, in this passage? The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. The thing that I've been really scared about in this sermon is that it would just land as just being about food. That you'd be like, i got to go on a diet. I can't go to Costco anymore. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what this sermon is about. This passage is a window into the appetites of the human problem. The boastful pride of life, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes... We do exactly what Adam and Eve did in the garden. We see it, we desire it, and we take it. That's the problem that mankind has had with food since the beginning. This issue this morning is about where we look and to whom we look and for what we look for. But Jesus teaches his followers to pray then like this. Give us this day. Our daily bread. If you'd like to turn back to Matthew chapter 6, if you're already there, that's where we're going to spend the next few minutes. Matthew chapter 6. We're just going to grab some observations. For me, observation time, you know, as you really just kind of pick at some things in a passage, that's really illuminating. It's kind of fun to see the things that emerge from a passage just from observation. So let's, let's do a little observing. It's just a few words. So we should be able, you know, it should be easy, right? And only a few words might only have a few things. We actually could exhaust this passage, but here are just a few things we can draw out of this, fa- this passage. Pray then like this. Give us this day our daily bread. Here's the first observation. It looks like it's something we should pray about. All right, that feels really obvious, right? He's teaching us to pray. But it looks like something we should really actually pray about. I'm confessing to you this morning, I think I've gone most of my life never praying, Lord, give me this day my daily bread. But yet our Lord is standing on the mound and he's teaching followers of Christ this timeless message to pray then like this, give us this day our daily bread. Apparently it's something we should pray about. And given the problem that mankind has had with food since the very beginning, maybe we should. (laughs) Even if we think it's some ancient issue. Even if we think it's not relevant for us. If you you leave this morning and you miss the application point for the morning, I'm, I'm giving it to you right now early. The application for the point for the morning is, pray then like this. Give us this day our daily bread and see what God does with your disposition. Just do it. Like pray it. Like I mean, like, I don't mean metaphor. I'm not talking figuratively. I'm talking actually praying. Give us this day our daily bread. That's the first observation that comes out of this passage, and it's a beautiful application. Pray then like this. Give us this day our daily bread. Let's not make it rocket surgery. It's very simple. Pray then like this. 
give us our daily bread. It looks like it's something we should actually pray about. It's also something that we should pray about that's in conjunction with praying for his holiness of his name and praying for his kingdom to come and praying for his will to be done. This God, this unbelievably powerful, awesome God is teaching us through Christ on the Mount to pray about our daily provision. That this God would even care and be mindful of us is unbelievably awesome. And he's telling us to pray about it daily. Pray for our provision right up there next to the holiness of his name, his kingdom come, and his will be done. Apparently, our daily provision is quite important. Apparently, we shouldn't ignore it. That's the first thing that comes out of it. We should be praying about it. Here's the second thing that we can draw out of it. It's an us and our thing. We can be so selfish in prayer. We might pray for somebody that has given us a prayer request. We might pray for somebody who's sick and ailing, somebody who's looking for a job. Those are real surgical, important prayers that we should be about. But realize what we're being encouraged here. What's being taught is let us pray. Pray then like this. Give us, plural, our daily bread. That prayer should involve the people that are sitting around you and the people that we know are online right now. Prayer should involve the fellow saints that we're walking with, that we would be eating the right things from the right hand in the right amounts and of the right stuff. And we're not just talking food. Man, what would happen to a people if we were literally daily praying for each other like that? I mean, that's just observations that are falling out of this thing like diamonds. That is prayer that we should pray about daily and that we should pray for the us in the hour for our appetites, our appetites, for our diets, that we eat the right food from the right hand. Now, here's the thing where I really want to spend a few moments. The thing that seems to be emphasized, especially in this passage, observation-wise, is the timing that's communicated. Give us this day our daily bread. So a prayer, he's teaching us to pray this day for something that's not a future need. That's not a future problem coming up down the road at some point that we need some wisdom for. But something that we're going to actually need that very day. Give us this day. Praying daily for a daily need. How often? Daily. Praying daily for a daily need. That very day. Prayer in that day for a need that you're going to face that day. That's what's being taught here. Man, it's like European grocery shopping. Praying for food that very day. And then you go back to the grocery store the next day to go get some more. Just enough and just the right amount from just the right hand. Give us this day our daily bread. This word daily in the original language is maybe one of the most confusing words in our Bible because it's only used this one place, and it's not used in other ancient Greek material. We don't know actually what it means. We think contextually, the scholars believe contextually that it means something along this lines, give us this day what is necessary for us today. So daily is a nice translation. You don't have to doubt it. We just realize it's a little bit complicated, but even in the complications, we can draw out the thought that we're praying daily for us an hour. Give us this day our daily 
bread. Now, I want to have an honest time out with you. Take a little coffee break. Honest time out. I'm sorry the rest of you can't drink coffee because you got a mask on. I feel funny about drinking coffee. Everybody's got their mask on. So I always at least acknowledge that. Here's my honest time out on this prayer notion for daily bread. I haven't prayed this way maybe my whole life before now because I haven't really felt like I needed it. I grew up in central Louisiana in a home where cupboards always had food on them. Um, Grocery stores always had food. We were never completely broke to the point where we couldn't buy food. I mean, I don't know many people. I'm sure there are people, maybe some of you in this room, that had experiences like that. But I think for us, most of us, Walmart is like, it's right there. <laughs> and I have a credit card or I have some cash enough to buy at least a little Debbie or something, a raisin cake, something. I can buy something to get me through the afternoon. I'm not going to starve, even if I might be kind of light in, in, in the wallet. Okay, Walmart's right there. Um, Brookshire's is right down the road. Costco is that way, am I oriented right that way. We've got all this access. We've got full cupboards. We've got full fridges. Many of us have fridges in the garage because I, 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 I want to make sure I don't look at anybody like I'm, like I'm on to you. <laughs> I'm looking around the room. Many of us have fridges and freezers in the garage for overflow. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not, it's not an indictment. It's just a realization. We have tremendous access to food all the time, and we can store it up for months. We can store enough toilet paper, right? Some of you hoarders. I won't look at anybody's face around this room either. We were hoarding up toilet paper a few months ago. Uh, we can store up garagefuls of toilet paper, right? So the thought of praying for food daily feels a little bit primitive. I'm just confessing it feels a little bit like maybe this really isn't for us. <laughs> maybe this was just for ancient people. Maybe those who gathered on that mount 2,000 years ago They didn't have Costco. They didn't have Walmart. They didn't have Brookshire's. They didn't have full cupboards. They didn't have an SUV to load up. They didn't have a a garage fridge and an inside fridge. So they were like poor. I mean, they really didn't have anything. Okay, a lot of that's true. Okay, but we're not speaking about just an ancient prayer, an ancient thing that's only relevant then. I'm dealing with this thing I'm really being honest about. It sounds primitive. It sounds a little bit unnecessary. Okay, we're just going to put that out there with all this access that we have. Maybe if we lived in Laos this morning, we should be praying, give us this day our daily bread, but only if we're in Laos or Somalia, maybe. Some of these impoverished countries. Maybe those are the places where Christians should be praying, give us this day our daily bread. So maybe here in Greenville, our Lord's Prayer should be shorter. Right? Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. We just leave that part out. Maybe that was just for those guys or just for hungry people. Or maybe the problem is less about how much we have or what we have or but what we have and where we look to it for, whom we look to it from. I messed up all kinds of English in that, but hopefully you're getting the point. Maybe it's not a matter of how much we have, but what we have, and where and to whom we are looking for for it. Maybe this prayer is connecting to something that we actually need to connect to right here, right now, even in Greenville, 
even in the United States of America in 2020. Because I want this room full of folks and our folks online to remember what we've identified this morning already. That man's problem, not just an ancient problem, is a problem with taking the wrong food from the wrong hand. The wrong food from the wrong hand. We see it. We want it. We take it. And everyone in this room hopefully knows we're not just talking about food. We're talking about our appetites. Not a regular prayer for me, maybe ever, until now. Man, I want you to know the preacher needs a sermon just as much as you do from week to week. And I needed this message today. This day in the request for a daily meal. Let's go back to our passage. Our Lord teaches us in a living teaching that we're going to hopefully in a room full of folks that have just had an honest moment, okay, who might have acknowledged, I had a little bit of thought that this might be irrelevant, who can maybe connect to, maybe this is relevant, that we can come back to this and consider it, that he has told his followers to pray in this way, in this day, for what we need from him daily. Turn to Exodus chapter 16. Something about this petition that was just so familiar to me. Uh, I don't know if you've kind of been thinking about the timing there. As we spent time talking about the timing, the emphasis on this day and daily. If there's something about it, and bread and provision. Uh, something about it that is familiar to me. And I think hopefully it was familiar to some of you. If not, then maybe in these next few minutes you'll connect the dot. And realize this whole Bible is connected in this one big story. In Exodus chapter 16, the nation of Israel has been delivered from Egypt. And in chapter 16, there's a story that we will parachute into, the little heading that I have in my Bible there. It says, bread from heaven. So maybe there's a good dot that we can connect here in this passage. Let's look and see. Uh, Exodus chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full. I mean, we could almost replace those food uh, items with raisin cakes. Okay, it's not the same exact scenario. But the desire for those is very similar. We could almost replace it with raisin cakes or Turkish delight. We sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you've brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gathered daily to tide them over, over the Sabbath. So Moses and Aaron said to the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he's heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And let's just draw out a few of the images from this passage. It rained Bread from heaven. The people are given a day's portion, except for one day that would tide them over over the Sabbath. But for the most part, 
we're talking, and we can reckon with the thought, we're talking about a daily portion. There's an extra provision in verse 5 for the Sabbath from an attentive good father that's commanded them to do something. He's going to provide for them in that day of rest. And there's something interesting. You see, again, the dailiness of it in verse 6 and 7. So Moses and Aaron said to the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And then in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he's heard your grumbling. In the evening you shall know the Lord's deliverance, and in the morning you shall see his glory. Now, why would the Lord distribute this thing in, in daily doses and not just, uh, why not a week's worth? Why not a Costco-type deliverance? I'm picking on Costco. I shop at Costco. I don't, y'all don't fret about Costco. Why not a big load? Why not a gross, which is a lot of food? Why don't we get this thing done in a week's worth? Why in daily doses, apparently, because it's in the evenings that he wants them to see, or he wants them to know the Lord's deliverance, and then in the mornings, he wants them to see the Lord's glory. That's what the Lord is up to, this daily experience. Food, in this case, as it's distributed by our God, is a tutor of his deliverance, and it's a tutor Of his glory. And that's why he wants it distributed every single day. Man, that's reason enough for to go, okay, now I get this prayer for daily bread. That we would see his deliverance for us. And that we would know, or we would know his deliverance and see his glory daily. That's why he distributed this thing daily. Maybe we too should be praying about this every single day, right? So we can know his deliverance and see his glory every single day as we pray. Man, that seems to be a connection here. Or would we prefer meat pots in Egypt and full bellies and full bins? Or would we prefer bread from heaven in daily doses? Now, from this passage, in case there was any confusion about where it came from, okay, I don't know if the sky might be the way we'd look at it, but actually the passage says from heaven. The food came directly from heaven, directly from God's hand. There's no middleman in his delivery. (laughs) There's no middleman. There's no farmer. There's no harvester. There's no baker. There's no grocery store. Just direct same-day delivery, like better than Amazon. I think if you live next to a, a facility, you might get the same day. But out here in Greenville, we don't even get the same day. But in this case, we're talking about same-day delivery from God to his people directly, just enough with an extra day's worth accounting for the Sabbath. This is a beautiful picture of a good father giving daily bread to his people daily. So why did he distribute it this way? We've touched on it a little bit. Deuteronomy chapter 31 gives us another little window You can listen or you can turn there if you'd like. We've already connected and considered why he might distribute it in daily doses so that we might know daily God's deliverance. That's a purpose that he has there for this people as he's delivering food to them from heaven. And that they would daily see his glory. But there's something else going on in that daily distribution. Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 20 says, For when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey... Okay, this is at the fast forward at the end of the wilderness experience. This is 40 years later from when manna first showed up from heaven. 
40 years later, Moses is on Nebo. He's on a mountain overlooking the promised land. And he's writing the book of Deuteronomy. And a lot of it is foretelling. And in this case, he's foretelling what's going to happen to this people that have just been provided for with food from heaven as they cross the wilderness. And here in verse 20, he says, When I've brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers, and they've eaten and are full and grown fat, they will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant. What? Here's the problem that we can see. There's this image, this window into the heart of God here. We know what he's up to in this daily distribution. We know that he's wanting to show his deliverance. He's wanting them to see his deliverance and know his glory. But he also has concern for them. He has concern for them knowing that when they get into the promised land where food is, where it's a land flowing with milk and honey, they'll have full cupboards, full bins, and they'll forget their God. That's what the passage says. They will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant because they've grown fat and they have eaten and have grown full. Why is God distributing in daily doses, at least in this context? Out of concern for them. So they would not forget him. Here in this wilderness, which is such a great, great visual of the experience that we're in right now, this side of glory. We are also in a wilderness experience. This great and barren space that corresponds to our experience, this side of heaven. Here he provides for them with daily distributions. So they'd know his deliverance and see his glory. And out of concern for them, they wouldn't forget him with full bellies and full bends. What a great father. Showing them his glory. Reminding them of his deliverance. And out of concern for them. Moses even wrote a song about it. It's a fat song. I mean, really, it's a fat song. I'm not, here's just a verse from it. Uh, chapter 32, the next page, verse 15. Jeshurun. Israel was renamed at that point as if looking as he's foretelling what's going to happen to them in the promised land. Renamed as Jeshurun. Don't name any of your children Jeshurun. Not a good Bible name. Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout, and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. Jeshurun was like a byword for what Israel was going to become. A people that had forgotten their God. Fat and sleek and full with full bins, full cupboards in a land flowing with milk and honey. This is a fat song because people have problems with food. It's not just a song about Israel. It's a song about humankind. We eat the wrong things from the wrong hands. We desire meat pots in Egypt. We hoard and store up faithfully. This fat song is graphic. And it's not just an ancient problem, people. It looks like daily dependence and need is a gift from the Lord. Daily dependence and need is a gift from the Lord. He has built this into the relationship with his people. It's a relational gift. And this is the treasure of this petition. 
this dailiness, the reality that we can connect to something we can touch, food, something we're living in, every single person in this room, we can connect to this and realize that this is a gift to us. Daily dependence and need is a gift from the Lord relationally. The point of the distribution, the point of the prayer and the petition is about knowing your grocer, grocer. It's about knowing your capital G, grocer, and seeing him daily. It's about shopping like a European. It's about coming with empty hands saying, Lord, I need just enough for today. I need you. Give me what I need to receive in the amount I need to receive it from your hand and your hand alone. That's what this prayer is about. That's the heart of the prayer. It's about looking to him for just enough in the evening when we can know his deliverance and in the morning when we can see his glory. Just enough for today and tomorrow. Small purchases in daily doses as we live in small flats with tiny fridges and tiny cupboards so we'll have to go see him again tomorrow. Man, I hope you can get the metaphor there. I'm not encouraging you all to go sell your fridges. God knows your needs before you even express them. Okay, We have to know that. He even said that in the way he discouraged wordy prayer. God knows your needs before you even express them. So why do you express them? Because it's about the relationship. It's about you've come to me and I'll see you again tomorrow. Even if your cupboards are full. Even if your bins are full, you come to him knowing that those things are a coronavirus away from being empty. They are a pandemic away from being empty. They are a job loss away from being empty. They are a war away from being empty. They are a government not giving you food because you're a Christian away from being empty. Wise people think this way and pray this way. He's inviting us into an attentiveness to the Father's care in this daily prayer. So that's the application point for the morning. Pray then like this. Give us this day our daily bread. Let's pray. Lord, I uh, am praying, I think, in some ways, hopefully praying on behalf of this people this morning. I know I'm praying for myself and my family that we are so full You have given us so much. We have uh, three meals a day, usually more. We have plenty to eat, and we have plenty of access to more. Lord, we pray that in that plenty, that we will not miss our daily dependence on you. Lord, teach us to recognize our need for your help with our appetites. Lord, open our eyes to our problems, and they're so vast and so different in this room. The things that we run to, our version of rice cake, of raisin cakes. Lord, show us to come to you and you alone, to come to your hand for the right things and the right amounts. Work this in us, Lord. We'll pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. There's a passage in Proverbs I'd like to share with you uh, for the supper. It's, it was actually an interesting discovery. Um, I've read through Proverbs before. I think many of us, most of us, have spent time in Proverbs. But it's a passage that I never really connected to and realized 
what's going on here. There's a guy in Proverbs whose name is Agur. Agur. I don't know how you pronounce it. Agur. I wonder if anybody even knows this guy. Agur. It's in chapter 30. The whole book of, uh, of Proverbs was not written by Solomon. Apparently, there's this little excerpt here in chapter 30 written by a guy named Agur. Okay, or at least the content comes from him. Agur. Probably not a good Bible name either because it's kind of weird. But this guy I like. So if, if, if you like it you don't think it's weird, maybe this would be a good one. Listen to what Agur says. Interestingly enough, in wisdom literature. Let's see how he prays. The words of Agur, son of Jaka, the oracle... The man declares, I'm weary, O God. I'm weary, O God, and worn out. I like his honesty already. Okay, Agur's a likable guy. Okay, just imagine an old gray-haired guy sitting down with you and sharing with you the, the, the lessons he's learned in life. He said, man, I'm just weary. I'm just so worn out. Surely I'm too stupid to be a man. I'm not the understanding of a man. Okay, what he says after this reflects that he actually is pretty wise. Maybe there's wisdom in recognizing what he just said. I'm too stupid to be a man. I've not the understanding of a man. I've not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One, who has ascended to heaven and come down, who has gathered the wind in his fists, who has wrapped up the waters in a garment, who has established all the ends of the earth. What is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know. Listen to this. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not, or deny them not to me before I die. Okay? Maybe he is an old guy and he's on his deathbed. These last two things. He's not. Maybe just old because he's got some life left to live based on what he asks. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. That's a good prayer, isn't it? I'd be the same person here as home, as church, and everywhere in between. Not different people, but I would be true. Absolutely true. I like Augur. Don't you? Man, I like this old guy. Let's see what else he says. Remove from, from, far, far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. <laughs> I don't want to be poor, God, but I also don't want to be rich. It's wisdom. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Lest I be Jeshurun. Don't let me be rich. Don't let me rely on full bins and full cupboards. Don't let me look to the wrong spaces and the wrong places and the wrong people. Give me neither poverty nor, nor wealth. Feed me with just what I need so that I don't forget you. What would God do with the people that are praying this way? Don't make me rich and don't make me poor. Give me just enough so that I don't forget you. Man, that's beautiful. As we go to the supper here in a moment... I want to encourage you. Um, Daniel, can you grab a supper for me? I forgot my little kid. Thank you. I want to encourage you with uh, just a little window into the book of John, chapter 6. Uh, just a, it's, it's just a beautiful, fitting passage before we take this meal. Jesus has just fed the multitudes. And he's crossed the Sea of Galilee on foot, on, on walking on the water. Thank you, bud. You said it right there. And he's crossed to the other side, and the same crowds have come around. He says, you've come to me because your appetite's led you here. 
You know, your bellies led you here, basically is what he's saying. He's saying work for food that lasts to eternal life, not for temporary food. He's, he's teaching them on what is the right thing to eat and where is the right place to get it. And this is what he says. Truly, truly, I say to you in verse 47, uh, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Food is such a great tutor. It's a relentless daily tutor for us of who and what we really need. Jesus says, I'm where you find the right food. And oh, by the way, I am the right food. Amen? Let's pull out our little kits here and let's enjoy this meal together then, considering our Lord as the fitting, proper, sufficient meal. They got their kits open. Let's take and eat together in faith. Sufficient and enough. Let's take together and drink in faith. Let's pray. Lord, please make this enough for us. Lord, please open our eyes through family conversations, through those conversations we have with ourselves in the mirror, through the things we think on as we drive or as we're just going by the way to reflect on places where we may be going or circumstances we may be looking to for provision and sustenance that aren't you. Lord, teach us to rely daily on you. And Lord, please just satisfy us with the fullness of the meal that is the person and work of Christ. We pray these things in Christ's precious name. Amen.